me in prayer. Lord God, we come to this familiar passage to many of us asking that you would reveal new truths to each and every one of us as we seek to follow you in our day. And as we compare how Adam and Eve dealt with such temptation and how our Lord Jesus dealt with temptation, we pray that you would powerfully transform us and that Lord you would move in a mighty revival work of the Spirit through us as we walk through this year together. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I heard a joke earlier this morning, you know, considering the fall, which is what we're talking about today. If Adam and Eve had been Cajun, they just would have eaten the snake. It would have all been done with. Yeah. Well, we're in this series called the redemption story my friends and what we're going to be doing each and every week is seeing God's saving act in each and every step of the way so that we read the scripture correctly and we see our Lord Jesus more gloriously so last week we talked about God's saving act in his creation right we saw God creating Everything, the heavens and the earth, and what a glorious fact that is. And we were reminded of the, the importance of that reality. For as we believe that, we have great purpose, freedom, and assurance that we, like Adam and Eve, have his presence. We, like Adam and Eve, have a place. We, like Adam and Eve, have a purpose. And we, like Adam and Eve, have partners to walk through life with both in marriage and in God's church. You know, because if you don't believe God exists, you know, you can live your life the way you want to, but the reality is it's meaningless. But as God's people who do believe that God exists and has acted in human history, we have all those great blessings of following God. And we recognize that he has the rights of ownership. Now that was last week, and that's where we left off. And so therefore, here we are in paradise, and you get to the end of chapter 3, and you recognize it's a whole different ball of wax now, that sin has come into the world. And so looking at this, and the natural question that comes to people's forefront when we have this discussion is, why in the world would God do this? I mean, if it was his plan anyway, why would he do it this way? It's a little ridiculous that he would set us up for failure like he has. You ever heard that? I know I have. And, and here's, a, here's a logical way to think about it, my friends. God, assuming God exists, God could have created the world four different ways. Number one, he could have created the world with nobody in it. <laughs> he could have just done the animals and all, everything and just enjoyed the beauty of his creation. Because he doesn't need us, Right? God is all-sufficient in himself. All right? That's the first world. He could have done that. He didn't. Second world he could have created was an amoral world, a world where there's no good, there's no evil. It's you define whatever you want, and therefore you would have had a world of anarchy and chaos. The third world he could have created was a world where only good could occur. <laughs> therefore, if only good can occur, that would have made us nothing but more than robots. The fourth and final 
world he could have created was a world where good and evil both had the possibility to exist. And it's in that fourth world that love is capable of meaningful expression experience. Love can be expressed in that fourth. Love can't be expressed in the others. And so therefore, my friend, it's that fourth world, which is the world we live in. All right? So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke. Luke. I'm so used to Luke. Um, Genesis chapter 3. As we're going to look at this, because another character is introduced here. Let's look at this character and let's look at his strategies. Then we're going to look at the consequences of, of Adam and Eve's actions. Another character is introduced. He's been around for a while. And he's the leader of the fallen angels. He's known as the devil, Satan, the son of the morning, uh, son of perdition, all kinds of names in the Bible. We know him as the devil or Satan most typically. He is a fallen angel because there's three types of creations God did. He created angels, which are spirits, spirit without a body. He created animals, which are body without a spirit. Then he the highest of his creation. He created man we male and female have body and spirit as well as soul our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions all tied up together because we're created in his image we're the only part of his creation that's created in his image and so satan arrives on the scene in the form of a serpent hebrews 3 talks about how sometimes Angels can appear as human, or they can appear as something else. And so Satan, you know, somehow appears like a serpent, and he reveals a threefold strategy to tempt Adam and Eve not to walk with the Lord. Now in Matthew chapter 4, that Zach read, Jesus gets tempted, and so we're going to flip back and forth and see how Jesus dealt with such temptations so we can have some victory in our lives because we're called to grow and mature and we will gain victory. We'll never completely defeat it on this side of heaven, but we can have some victory, my friends. And we're going to look at how our Lord dealt with it. But here's the strategy of the enemy. You know, if you're, you're, if you're a football coach, you come in on Monday morning, at least high school football, we did, 7 a.m., and we had to give our scouting report and we had to show to the head coach how we were going to stop this part of their game. If all else fails, we're not going to let this kid beat us. And that's what I want us to see here. If all else fails, we're not going to let these strategies defeat our Christian walk. All right? So let's look at these. Genesis chapter 3, right out of the bat, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, the first strategy is to confuse what God actually said. He said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? His goal here is to influence the listener to think 
what God said, God really didn't really say or didn't mean. It's important that we recognize this strategy. And how does Jesus in Matthew 4 deal with it? Where Adam and Eve failed. Jesus simply quotes scripture that meets that temptation. Quotes Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the first strategy. Confusion. Second strategy is a twisting presumption. All right? You know, he comes back to Eve. He desires for the woman to presume upon the grace of God. In other words, saying something akin to, come on, Eve, God loves you. How can he allow anything bad happen to you? Look who you are. You're the highest of his creation. So the serpent said, you will not surely die to get her to, again, not only question what God said, but to presume upon God's grace. It's like saying, I'll sin and I'll ask God's forgiveness later. You know, it's always better to ask forgiveness, right? We say that all the times. Not always. All right? And what, he, what Satan does here is he quotes, you know, to Jesus, he says, took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Then he quotes Psalm 91, 11 and 12. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. <laughs> Jesus says, really? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. <laughs> Quoting scripture right back at him. So he's tried to confuse Adam and Eve. He's tried to get them to presume upon the grace of God. And the final strategy is ambition. Verse 5, he says, For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, if you eat of this tree, you, go, you just go one step further. After all, Eve, you, why don't you want, you don't, you don't have need God to tell you what to do all the time. Wouldn't it be better if you could decide what is good and evil for yourself? You'd be like God. Think about all you could become. You got such potential, you know. Do it your way. Decide what's right for you. Satan comes to Jesus was taken to a high mountain and shown all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. As if Jesus didn't have all the kingdoms, right? And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, quoting Deuteronomy 6.13 and 1 Samuel 7.3, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Confusion, presumption, and ambition. You see that? See how our Lord battled that? And how did he battle that? Because he had meditated on the word of God. So it doesn't matter whether you're 13 or you're 99. My friends, 
get into the word and let get the word into you. It's important that we memorize. That's what, one of the reasons I love the, the collet for the second Sunday of Advent so much. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's getting it in you. It's memorizing. So that when these temptations come from the world, the flesh, and the devil, we're armed and ready to, to do battle if we need to. All right, so seeing that Satan used those same strategies, Jesus gave us a fair warning that that's his playbook. So now we have Jesus' playbook. All right. Now let's look at the results of their actions. You see, God's first call to Adam was like all of his commandments, a wonderful expression of his grace to Adam. God had made everything good and that Adam knew everything that was good that was from God's hand including his wife Eve but it was not the only thing at work in the universe the Hebrew word ra defined evil all right meaning all that is bad all that is not good is evil. We think of the word evil in the English terms as Hitler and Stalin. All right? Evil, according to the scripture in Ra, is everything that is not of God good is evil. So it's pain, that which is bad, that which is hurtful, that which is displeasing to God, that which is worse than worst. It covers the whole spectrum. And Adam didn't know anything about it. It's as if God went to Adam and said, Adam, you need to understand. There's a terrible reality in the wor world, and I want, you, I want to protect you from it. It's called evil. You don't know anything about it, but it already exists. And I don't want you ever to experience it. So whatever you do, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve feel as if they look at that tree and they buy into the strategies that Satan's saying, as we all are tempted to do. As the enemy comes to him and says, you know, perhaps you know what this good experience in this, you've been overprotected. You need to really live a little, you know. Have a more well-rounded experience of life. Then you'll be like God. So he takes it, picks it, eats it, and I'm sure as they ate it, it turned bitter in their mouths. And they've got it. They now understand what it is to walk outside the will of God. But he cannot stand as God outside, objectively knowing what evil is. He finds that evil is now within him. <laughs> All that is not of God is now in him. And that's Adam and Eve's condition. And every person since has this 
bent to do it their way. And Paul describes this problem in Romans 7. He says, I find a law at work within me so that when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And the good that I want to do, I don't end up doing that. But what I end up doing is the evil that I actually don't want to do. That's it. Why do we go back and do again the thing that made you miserable again and again and again and again? Paul describes that condition in Ephesians 2.1 outside of Christ as being dead in our trespasses and sins. So without this relationship with God in Christ, we are all dead men walking like zombies. And so they took this course of action and then there's some horrible consequences. Two in particular. The first one is the Lord banished him from the garden. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which it was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. He's banished from the garden, struggling in a hostile place with wild animals and thorns and thistles, as we will see. And he finds that this knowledge of evil just goes everywhere. It's like that computer virus. It gets onto your computer and you just can't get rid of it. It keeps slowing your computer down. There's going to be thorns and thistles and hostility spreading all over the natural world. And Adam is excluded from the place of the physical presence of God. He no longer is allowed to be there. But there's another grace as he placed the cherubim with the sword, guarding the way back to the tree of life. You say, well, why is that a blessing? Because it's as if God is saying, now that he knows this, and this is his bent, to go back in there, he will never be rid of this evil, ever. I'm not going to let that happen. So he places a cherubim, a high angel, with a sword flashing. It's not, a, it's not like the tomb of the unknown soldier where the guy's just marching and shifts. He's standing there and he's flashing it. Back and forth, back and forth. The sword representing the judgment of God. And there's no way Adam can safely get back in. And he's outside the presence of God. So that's the first thing that's happened. And he's banished and he can't go back. And so therefore, what we will see now, because of those consequences, we see some great hope in this passage. Because God reveals about himself a solution for each and every one of us that we need to take hold of. The first thing he does is he pronounces a curse. And you think, well, wait a minute, how's that hopeful? A curse. Well, you look at verse 14 with me. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. A curse, by a dictionary definition, is the utterance of a deity or of a person invoking deity, consigning a person or thing to destruction. So this is the word of God consigning the devil to destruction. And that's a word of hope, my friends. That the author of this evil, the author of all this pain, all this suffering, everything that's wrong with the world will not finally stand. He will not have the last word. Nor will his work last. He will be destroyed. It will be destroyed. Because God will destroy it. Praise God. That's the first curse. And then to the woman he says, I will multiply. He doesn't curse her. Notice that. He doesn't curse her. He says, well, you're going to have pain in childbearing. And you're going to have this natural bent to control situations. And to Adam, can you imagine what Adam's thinking? He's, he's the head. He was, he was the one who was to care for her. And he let her get swayed like this. And God turns to Adam. He must have been thinking, I'm toast. And Adam, to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. <laughs> Cursed is the ground. What did the ground do? All right? The curse is not on Adam and Eve. The curse is on Satan and the ground. And out of the ground will come thorns and thistles where it didn't before. All right? Our work, the curse because of the ground, our work is going to be laborious and hard. And women will have pain in childbirth and will have all this struggle for control and men are going to have to stop being passive and going to have to work hard in the sweat of our labor. But the ground is what's cursed. And now the animal kingdom is in chaos. Just watch Animal Planet. It's not gentle. Kimmy was weeping at a lion's mom. Just She died. And I said, it's the Genesis 3 world, baby. And she goes, oh, shut up. goes i don't want this but the reality my friends this going throughout human history will be a great battle between all the descendants of the woman and the powers of evil we'll always be trying to get rid of it and to recreate paradise and we can't do it but the beautiful picture the wonderful picture that we have here is the first promise of the good news of jesus christ look at verse 15 after he pronounces the curse on Satan and snakes are, are symbolic of Satan. They're gonna, they Nobody likes snakes, really. You know? you know? In South Georgia, we had a saying. Only good snake is a dead snake. You know? We don't sit around and identify that snake. Just kill him. You know? it was, there's a reason why we feel this way. Right here. That's not good. There are good snakes. I know there's some biologists in here saying, don't think that way, you know. 
You probably have snakes for pets. You know, I don't bless snakes, by the way. Pet blessings. I had to do a pet blessing when I was a seminarian. Somebody brought a snake, and I said, uh-uh, no, no. Take that snake somewhere else. I, well, I'm not doing it. All right. All right. I will put enmity, verse 15, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That one day Satan will come. You could also translate that, he will crush your head. And what we know is that Jesus upon the cross took the curse for us, and in so doing, crushed the head of the serpent, while the serpent bruised his heel by taking the cross for our sake. All right? That's what Genesis 3.15 is all about. That's what Jesus has done for us, my friends. That Adam was driven out of paradise. Jesus came out of paradise into this Genesis 3 world and took the curse that should have been ours so that we can be welcomed into the presence of God. We, like Adam, don't have his physical presence right now, but by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, by placing your trust in Jesus, this is the solution right here. That we can have God in the Holy Spirit walking with us, know his presence, have our place, have our purpose. And we've got one another to journey through life with. You know, at the top of the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, it was about, I think, 90 feet high. You biblical scholars can check me on that. I'm not exactly sure. But the top of that curtain, woven in this beautiful curtain, was a picture of cherubim. Because only... The high priest could go in there to the Holy of Holies and only he once a year on the Day of Atonement. And when Jesus died upon the cross and breathed his last and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and breathe his last breath, that curtain was torn in two. Symbolic of our now through faith in Christ, we're welcomed into the presence of God again. The curse is over. Jesus Christ, by dying upon the cross, took the sword, the wrath of God upon himself, but by taking it on, he broke it so that we can come into the peace and the presence of God. Do you, do you accept that solution, really? It's a game changer. It's an amazing thing that Paul wrote how incredibly wretched we are, yet because we are, God's provided a way for us in Jesus Christ to rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're not zombies anymore. We're not dead men walking. We're alive in Christ. And we can enjoy Him and know Him. And he delivers us because he can bring us back to the very tree of life. Know that this Lenten season, my friends, that right off the bat, he gave us this great hope. And in so knowing, we can rejoice 
and recognize the strategies of not just the devil, but the world and our own natural rebellion and have victory in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for this wonderful word for each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, that because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you crushed the head of the serpent and he bruised our Lord Jesus' heel upon the cross. And we pray, Lord, that the fall and the implications of the fall, we would continue to be sanctified in your presence, seen as your people, clothed in your righteousness, walking in the power of your spirit. For the world that you created was good, and you love us with this everlasting love. And Lord, because of that, we can go out and love the world, even our enemies, well. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.